Welcome to Homestand Sports, the podcast for the passionate fan. I'm your host, Albert Vartanian, and I'm joined as usual by my colleague and founding member of the Trevor Linden fan club, Justin Pooney. Trevor Linden's been bringing all the smoke on Vancouver media this week, Albert, and so will I. It's Linden versus Benning. On today's show, the unthinkable happened, Justin. Somehow, someway, the Edmonton Oilers went into San Jose to play the worst team in the NHL and lost. The Sharks are circling in Edmonton, pun intended, and people could be on their way out of Alberta. So what happens next? Where do the Oilers go from here as they sit at the bottom of the NHL standings 12 games into the season? Also on the show, we're joined by our hockey betting expert, Stephen Sahoyas of North Star Bets to get his thoughts and picks on Leafs Flames, the Hall of Fame game, which goes down on Friday night. And finally, Justin and me wrap up the show with our takes on some of the best stories of the week in sports. Lots to get to, lots to answer, so let's get this party started. I'm Albert Vartanian, and this is Homestand Sports, where stories, not stats, take center stage. So the Oilers go into San Jose, most important game of the season, mm-hmm. lose 3-2, and are level on points right now with the Sharks, with five. Two nine and one, one of the worst teams in the NHL at the moment. What happens next, Albert? This is rock bottom. This is as low as the Oilers could have gone. They this was a, we talked about this was a must win game against the worst team, a team that gave up ten goals on consecutive nights last week. The Edmonton Oilers with Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl, Darnell Nurse, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Vander Kane, yada yada yada. Team that was saying. We want to win the Stanley Cup. We want to win the Stanley Cup. They went down one nothing in the first period. They got back up, and they lost. Albert, you saw the faces. We saw the dejection of the Edmonton Oilers in the locker room after. Connor McDavid didn't even speak to the media. This team right now is probably one of the biggest failures in NHL history of recent time. You could talk all you want about last year's Bruins failing in the playoffs. Uh, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning from years previous when they lost to Columbus in the first round. At least they made it to the playoffs. This team, I have never, I can't remember the last time I've seen a prohibitive, one of the prohibitive Stanley Cup favorites get off to such a horrible start. And the weird part is, is they're not, I, I hear what Leon Dreisaitl is saying post-game about how, you know, they're dominating teams. And look, they have been in spurts. But the mental lapses, again, Jay Woodcroft, for whatever reason, and this team, for whatever reason, I don't think they have showed the full sense of urgency they needed to show in, in San Jose. We were talking before that game started, and you kind of mentioned that, well, what do you think the score is going to be in the first 10 minutes? And I said, if it's not 4 nothing Edmonton, there's a problem. They were down one nothing. It's the mentality of this team. It's the mentality of their star players. Leon Draisaitl has one goal in nine games. Connor McDavid has two goals and ten points on the season. Is he still hurt? I don't know. But that excuse is no longer applicable because you're saying you're good enough to play, so you better give me your all every night. This team right now is the biggest joke in hockey right now. There's no way to cut it nicely or whatever. I get it. Evander Kane said, you know, they're playing well. You know, the, short, the the St. Louis Blues were the worst team in January and then they win the Stanley Cup. Well, you got to somehow get to the point where you can <laughs> get back to that point. They are so far behind right now, Albert. And you send Jack Campbell down to the minors who got lit up like a Christmas tree in the minors last night anyway, right? This team is in, has pushed up against the cap. Matthias Ekholm was hurt. He's not playing very well. You know, they are 
in such a such disarray and there's so much pressure on this team to win that you're seeing all that pressure added on top of this losing streak to these guys and you can see them crumble crumble and crumble okay so I can I'm looking at this thing both ways right now no hyperbole absolute disaster yes the reason I watched that game last night not only because we watch hockey we got to cover it for the show mm-hmm. and everything else that we do but it was like watching a car crash yes a piece of me and this sounds bad saying it but I'm just being honest right now Wanted to see the Oilers lose because I wanted to see the fallout and how they can bounce back. Going to San Jose and losing in the most important, most important, in the most important game of the season, and you come away as losers. And I just want to read this Ryan Nugent Hopkins quote. Um, he said, "Unfortunately, this was after the game. We've gone through this before in the past, and we found ways out." No, you haven't. When, when did you guys go through that? Because this is the worst start through 12 games in the McDavid era. Connor's first season, they started 4-8. and eight. That's as bad as it got. And you know, this is McDavid's ninth season, and he has nothing to his name. Nothing. You know, we have to compare him to Crosby because we call him McJesus and one of the best players in the NHL, one of the best players mm-hmm. the league has ever seen. Crosby went to the finals twice and won a cup by his ninth season. This, what is his third year he went to the finals? Fourth year he won a cup. I mean, right? and don't kid yourselves too. Like Pittsburgh was horrible. They were horrible when Crosby was drafted. Mm-hmm. I think they were a 22-win team that season. Well, they just were horrible for the first couple of years. Yeah. So this is Crosby this is there. this is bad on so many levels. Yeah. And the fact that you mentioned it, and I was going to too. McDavid didn't talk to the media, and he's usually the first one that does. Mm-hmm. I'm not criticizing the guy, but you're the captain. You just lost that game. It's November. And you're at the bottom of the NHL standings. Like, it's not great. I mean, McDavid, he led the NHL with 64 goals. He has no goals in his last seven games. Mm -hmm. Like, he had some jump to him at the beginning of that game against the Sharks, but then kind of fizzed away as the game went on, just like the rest of the team. Absolutely. This is so bad. And I know fingers are being pointed towards this player and that guy and Jay Woodcroft and Ken Holland. I don't know how they fix this. I don't know how they fix it. But they're the team from last season – who put up a huge fight in the playoffs against the Golden Knights, still got bounced out, but they scored the most goals in the regular season. You Collectively, not everybody can just go from good to bad. They're, Things have to turn around at some point. Yeah. And I do like the fact that Evander Kane brought up the San Luis Blues yeah. thing. And I had to look at that. I'm like, can they rebound? And near the end of the season last year, the Oilers went 17-2-1. So they can put together an incredible streak. Yeah, they right? can. And if you look at St. Louis when they won that cup, it was in 2019. They were last in the league, Justin, in January. December. January, December, yeah. yeah so, the end of the, so they started the new year as yeah. the worst team in the NHL. I mean, it's it doesn't look great. You need something phenomenal to happen. You need your to figure out that goaltending. You got to try and sort out your defense as best as possible. A guy that's making $9 million, a Darnell Nurse, made huge mistakes yesterday. But McDavid made mistakes yesterday. He coughed up the puck on a power play that led to a breakaway. No goal. But it's just uncharacteristic things that are happening. And for everything to go right to right the ship, it's going to be next to impossible. But if there's a team that can do it, it's a team with McDavid and Dreisaitl and a team that's done it in the past as well. I get what you're saying. And I get it. This is the guy who picked them to win the Stanley Cup this year. And I, Everybody picked them I, to win the I Cup. still am not going to give up on that yet. But I'm wavering right now because, look, when you have a team that's this talented, right? This talented 
and they come out this flat and this disinterested after talking a whole lot. I don't know what it was. Maybe they felt that because, oh, we've made some fairly deep playoff runs the last couple of years. We lost to the eventual Stanley Cup winners the last two years. We're right there. We don't need to try. The regular season doesn't matter as much for us. Maybe they had that mentality. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But when I look at this team, Albert, and I watch them play now, it's just like they're waiting for something bad to happen. You know what I'm saying? Like they're just they're expecting the worst to happen. Rather than playing out there and taking control and putting things into their own hand, they're playing like something bad's gonna happen. Like a car accident is going to happen. <laughs> right. Right? And when, like just when you're driving, when you're driving and you think you're gonna get into an accident, chances are you're gonna be timid and make a wrong mistake. And that's the way the Oilers are playing, I feel. Um I don't know what to do here because this team has no cap space whatsoever. You send Jack Campbell down to the minors, you're really saving a million bucks on the cap. And that's it, right? How are you going to, you know, make this defense core better? Well, you, it's got to be from internal, right? We've heard reports that, you know, apparently they might fire Jay Woodcroft or see what this happens after this road trip before they make a situation. But it's the guy with a 640 points percentage, right? Two Western Conference final, almost beat the Vegas Golden Knights. Three series wins. He's been one of the more successful coaches the Oilers have had, right? And when you watch them play, I don't know if they've quit on him, right? I don't, I don't get that sense. No, yet. me neither. I don't get that, but I feel like for this team to turn it around, it's from within. I don't know if you can make a big trade or shake up the roster like that. I don't know if it's gonna if it work like that. I think every man on that team has to look in the mirror and be like. I can take my game up another level. In some cases, especially McDavid and Drysaddle, another two levels. And if they can do that, if McDavid gets back to being McDavid, if Drysaddle gets back to being Drysaddle, that allows guys like Nugent Hopkins, Kane, Hyman, all to play with more confidence, and you'll see their game start picking up. But it starts with those two guys right there. McDavid and Drysaddle are the leaders of this team. They have to play better. They have to be accountable. And here's the thing with Connor McDavid. You have to talk to the media. You have to. Evander Kane, is. I will give him all the credit in the world this season so far. After every loss, he is answering the bell with the media. I have not seen that with Connor McDavid this last game. He needs to take accountability. He needs to be the best player on this team. The best player on planet Earth, which we know he is if this team wants to be successful. Well, it's, I think it's clear that McDavid isn't 100%. I think he rushed his way back to the Heritage Classic. He doesn't look 100%. You can tell by the way he's playing, the way he's skating. You can look at him in interviews as well. So I just wonder, when do the Oilers get to the point where they say, you know what, we might have to throw in the towel. We might have to go talk to Connor McDavid and say, hey, listen, we know you're hurt. And this is pure speculation on my end. Mm -hmm. But clearly, he's dealing with an upper body injury that he was dealing with last season. Mm -hmm. And say, it's not going to happen this year. We might have to shut you down. You and that's do a difficult conversation to have, but they might get to that point. My next point, you mentioned the regular season, and there's always been so much talk around sports, not in the NHL specifically, but every other mm -hmm. league as well. You know, does regular season really matter if you can just get in, especially in the NHL? We saw what happened last year. Look who made a cup run. It's a wild card team in the Florida Panthers. Look who got bounced in the first round. The President's Trophy winners in the Boston Bruins, best regular season team of all time. At the moment... To get into the wild card, if I'm looking at past seasons, last year and the year before, 
especially in the West, to get into that second wild card, you're going to need about 94, 95, 97 points Mm -hmm. in and around there. So essentially the Oilers, if my math is right, you're the Kumon guy, but they got to play like almost 700 hockey the rest of the way. Is it possible? Absolutely. And anything can happen. Listen, Mm -hmm. Nashville was a wild card team. They made a cup run. Mm -hmm. LA won the cup when they were in eighth seed. seed. They beat the Canucks, the President's Trophy team. I mean, that Kings team was was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. But you can make the case for this this Oilers team. I mentioned St. Louis, but... A lot needs to go right, and I think there's just so many questions. When does Ken Holland decide, hey, we need to make a trade, or we got to shut it down, or I'm just going to wait and see? There's, there's so many questions. No one has the answers. No one even has the answer. Experts across the league as to how this is happening because it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. There, it, there's no clear indication. There's no clear observation you can make of this is why this is happening. Yeah. Because the goaltending was an issue last year. Defense was an issue last year. They're one of the teams. They gave up a ton of goals last year. Yeah. Nothing's changed. They just outscored their problems. The only difference is now they're not outscoring those problems. Exactly the point. And again, when you look at this team, they play such a brand of hockey where their best players have to be scoring. When their best players aren't scoring, they have no chance of winning. Because the way they play that run-and-gun style... If they're not, if McDavid's not producing two points a game or on pace to get 150 points in a season, Dry Saddle's not scoring 60 goals, you're not going to win games. And that's what's happening. That's a lot to ask. These guys are not scoring at the clip that they're normally scoring at. And you're seeing this team is losing. They can't outscore their problems now. And I, I want to ask you this, right? You talked about how, you know, the regular season doesn't matter and they have to play 700 hockey. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Yeah. You can make the case that you can get get in in via wild card and make a run in the playoffs. But when you look at this roster and you look at this team, do you, as Ken Holland, feel that you have to make a bold change to shake up the room, or do you allow these guys to work it out themselves? I just don't know what that bold shakeup is. What's the bold shakeup? What would shake up that room? Getting rid of McDavid or Dry Settle, not going to happen. Getting rid of Darnell Nurse? Who's taking that contract? Nobody. No. I don't know what this bold shakeup is. The entire team is underperforming. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it takes one or two guys and things change. It's just how long is that going to take? If you're relying on a potentially injured McDavid, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. And let me end this segment with this stat. And this one is from Elliot Friedman in his most recent 32 Thoughts article. In 82-game season during the salary cap era, 9 of 66 teams who were 4 points out of the playoffs after games on November 1st have reached the postseason. Calgary, Edmonton, Pittsburgh at the time are in that group, and last year's group went 0-4. Grim times for the Edmonton Oilers. We'll have to wait and see and see what happens with the Oilers, McDavid, Ken Holland, Jay Woodcroft, Dreisaitl. Will things turn around? Who knows? But one of the most interesting storylines, not only in the NHL, but in all of sports right now. Yeah. Okay, let's welcome in Steven Sahoya, Stevie P of North Star Bets, uh, to chat Leafs and Flames. Got the Hall of Fame game going down on Friday night. Two teams um, struggling, but one of them turning it around just a bit. The Leafs, they've lost five of the last six. Uh, the Flames coming into town with back-to-back dubs. Stevie, which way are you leaning in this one? If I have to go one way... On the t- on the on a pick aside, I would go with the Calgary Flames just because. Look, the Maple Leafs—you can't trust them to win anything right now. They, they're just playing poor hockey defensively. 
I don't know. I guess they thought John Klingberg was gonna, you know, the MO was gonna change on this guy when they signed him in the offseason. They thought, oh, maybe, maybe this guy's gonna be a good defensive player. He'll solve all our defensive problems. Oh, wait, the guy who's never played defense in his career actually isn't very good at defense. So that's been a problem. Now you got Benoit and Lagason sound like a old school like cop tandem on the back end for the Leafs, and you're relying on these guys to play big minutes. I don't like it. I think they're in trouble, Toronto. I think they need to figure out the defense. And the unfortunate thing is they have very little wiggle room. So until they get the defense sorted out, I'm going to go pick Calgary, who is starting to play a little bit better. The offense is starting to come a little bit for the Flames. Stevie, we talked about, you talked about Klingberg, Jake McCabe is going to be in tonight, but we got to talk about the goaltending too, man. It's not looking good. And I think besides the Edmonton Oilers and that whole fiasco that's going on with Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner, the Maple Leafs might have the biggest goaltending worries next to that as well. What do you make of the Leafs' goaltending situation so far with Joseph Wall and Ilya Samsonov? Well, it's been a disaster. They're bottom 10 in team save percentage. And not only is the goaltending bad, but as I mentioned, like the defense in front of them is bad. They're bottom 10 in high danger chances against. So when you compound bad goaltending with bad defense, you're going to see the results we've seen. And Joseph Wall, I think this is just asking someone to do too much too soon. Uh, you know, okay, he looked okay in spurts during the playoffs last year and in limited action. But it's a whole different thing looking or asking a guy to hold up for half a season. And Samsonov, he was a little banged up in the preseason. I don't know whether that's carried into the regular season or not, but he has not looked good at all. And you really can't count on him at this point of the season. So really, you know, I know Martin Jones is kind of still there. He, he was put on waivers before the season started. He's with the Marlies. But eventually, when do you consider looking to see what you have there? Like, I, I don't know. I just think they've been... Uh, there's really, again, no answer. You're not going to find too many locked-in number ones available on the trade market. And you're not going to find too many top four, top two pairing defensemen on the trade market. So the Leafs, they kind of got to figure it out. Otherwise, I don't see any answers or any relief coming anytime soon. Let's talk about this game that's happening Friday night. Let's go to props. I was just reading your article on NorthstarBest.ca, and you're going with the old uh, revenge game narrative, Stevie. Nazem Kadri in town to pick up a point? It might be tired at this point, but I don't care. When when these ex-Leafs come to town, I don't know. They just seem to elevate their game. And Kadri, seven points in six games against the Maple Leafs since leaving the franchise. And, like, their offense is starting to pick up Calgary. If you notice, they've scored three goals in each of their last three games, which doesn't sound like a lot, but they only did that twice through their first nine games of the season. So, clearly, there's been a bit of a turnaround. Kadri's got a point in four consecutive games three multi-point games during that stretch. So I think at minus 110, you have a player going up against a very weak defensive and goaltending team in Toronto who's going to play pretty much every type of scenario for Calgary. So at minus 110, I'm definitely going to take a shot at Kadri to score a point. Yeah, I love that value, specifically the way that, you know, the Leafs defense is playing and mm-hmm. the goaltending issues. Uh, a big game going down Saturday night in Toronto. Justin Pooney will be there, Stevie P. And you want to talk about this because you mentioned that this might be a, a Super Bowl-type game for Justin Pooney. Well, you said a big game. I'm thinking this might be the big game. I, Justin's been talking a lot of smack. I've been watching. <laughs> He's been saying the Canucks are the best team in Canada. And tomorrow, that's a hinge game for that claim there, Justin. I'd like to, I'd actually, before I dive into it, I'd like to hear Justin's take on Saturday night, Hockey Night in Canada, Canucks, Maple Leafs. 
the well, Super Bowl. Stevie, as you, you as Albert mentioned, I will be in the building. I will be live sitting there with my Canucks jersey, amass the fake fans that are Toronto Maple Leafs people, the corporate <laughs> fans, not the real people. I will be there at Scotiabank Arena. And Stevie, this is what I w- love to hear this morning when I woke up. Joseph Wall is starting tonight, which means Samsonov gets to start tomorrow. Oh. And we saw what happened against Tampa in the first period. Him smashing his mask against the boards, four goals. Come on. Canucks scored five goals last night against Ottawa on 16 shots. They got the best two players in the NHL in EP40, Elias Pedersen. The far and away, runaway winner of the Norris Trophy already in Quinn Hughes. Thatcher Demko, we did our um, way too early awards predictions, right? And Albert picked Thatcher Demko to win the Vesna. And I couldn't do it. I picked your guy, Jeremy Swayman from Boston. And that's just because I didn't want to be too biased. But you know what? Screw it. It's Friday. I'm going to be biased. Thatcher Demko is the Vezina Trophy winner. The Rick Talk is the coach of the year. And tomorrow, Stevie, in front of the whole nation, the Canucks are going to show everybody why we are Canada's best team. It's as simple as that. So, by the sounds of it, it doesn't sound like the Maple Leafs have much of a chance, Justin. But well, they have a, I'm just they, saying. They have but, a puncher's listen, chance. Just, they have a puncher. But on the odd, you know, luck of the draw that the Maple Leafs actually win this game. Does that move your stance on the Canucks being the best team in Canada? Or is it, it doesn't matter. Really. No, look at the records. Canucks are the 10-2-1. The <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? It's here? hard to argue that, that, that they're not the best team, not only in Canada, but in the NHL right now. Can it last? Who knows? But I'm all in on the Canucks, at least for Saturday night. If Samsonov is going in there, 855 save percentage, the guy gets yanked all the time. It's going to be bad news for the Leafs. Like If you had a a lean, uh, looking at the look-ahead for the game, I'm sure you're leaning Canucks as well, right, Stevie? Yeah, I, I'm i very interested to see what the line will be for this game with the Leafs playing on back-to-back nights. Yeah, Like, will the Leafs still get the benefit of the doubt of your typical home ice advantage and be a minus-odds favorite? Because if they are, I'll take the plus money on the Canucks all oh, day. Yeah. I imagine this is going to be very close to even money, though. I would, I would be shocked if you saw... Uh, anything greater than plus 110 on either side of this one. Stevie, thanks for doing this, buddy. No problem. My pleasure as always. You guys take care. All right, let's get to our newest segment. It's the best stories of the week. We're going to give our Mm -hmm. take on these stories. Uh, We have a couple here for you. You want to start off with uh, Deion Sanders' son. Shadur Sanders, yes, the... Number one starting quarterback was kind of in Heisman talks early in the season when Colorado was winning games. Um, he got his Rolls Royce booted, not like kicked off campus, but you got a boot put on his uh, Rolls Royce Cullinan, the Rolls Royce SUV at the University of Colorado campus, which means I guess it doesn't really pay to be the big man on campus a lot, Albert. Uh, but it's funny because Tom Brady had Dion and Shadur on his podcast to let. I can't know if I could, the LFG podcast, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they were talking about, you know, he was talking about his truck that he has. And Tom Brady said, I don't care. I got one. Get in the get in the quarterback room. Get in the film room. Same thing that Dion said. And I want to talk about how when Dion was winning games at the beginning of the season, that it was just all applicably fine, all that stuff. But now you're seeing a lot of hate, especially on your son. Teams are openly wanting to come after them. They got their locker room robbed at UCLA uh, a couple weeks ago. When I look at Dion and the Colorado, it's great for college football. It's great to bring the Norad to this struggling program, right? Shadour could be a first-round pick if he goes to the draft this year. They got Travis Hunter, who probably next year will be a first-round pick. 
But if I'm Dion, I kind of want to tell them to rein it in a little bit. I know Dion wants his players to be them, and I love and support the individuality, especially now in the college football where the NIL can make you a whole lot of money, and it's making Shadour a whole lot of money. But when you're young like that and you have the whole world coming after you, it feels like at certain moments, maybe it's time to just take a step back and just kind of refocus and recenter. And I think Colorado was such a great story early on in the college football season, and it was such a big thing. It's great, but just take a step back, refocus, recenter, and maybe move a little bit more silence, which might be kind of hard for Prime because his name is Prime Time, right? I completely disagree. Really? I want them to keep that energy. I'm a guy, I do not, you know this, Justin, I don't care about college football, but I was up until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning watching Colorado play on mm. my phone. I would never do that for any yeah. team ever. I don't care if it's Alabama, you named Oregon, you named the team, I really don't care. And it's what Deion Sanders has brought to this team. Mm-hmm. So I enjoy it. I think you need to keep that same energy. What's Deion Sanders I mean, and that team? They're disruptors. They make noise. That's what yeah. they want because they believe that they're the best. So you're going to hear from them. And the haters are always going to wait for a yeah. team like that and a person like that to fail because it's easy to go at them because they've been at the forefront of everything. The last thing I just want the last thing with this I want to say is could it affect his draft stock too because you know NFL GMs always want to look at that nitty-gritty that be Will Levis dropped in the draft because he put mayonnaise in his coffee. Right? We don't know if that's the I mean, but the they said it's his personality, right? right? And I I think Shadour will be a great NFL quarterback. I think a team like Seattle, my team if Shadour is available in the mid to mid to second half of the first round, I think Pete Carroll and John Schneider should take Shadour. I think he had Shadour said he was a combination of Michael Vick and Tom Brady. That's a bit excessive. I think Shadour's not as as athletic, but he's definitely a starting quarterback. I think has a high upside. I just want what's best for him, right? And I don't want some GM or some team out there to use what his personality, his individualism against him in the when the upcoming draft when that's a big step for him, and that's. Well, they kind of did the same thing to Deion Sanders, right? No, Deion said himself, he's like, I hope Detroit doesn't take me. I'm going to put myself on layaway because I want Detroit to take me. So he put it in his own hands. But it's true. But he he was the same way. If there's anybody that you want to have on your side going through that, it's probably Deion Sanders, and that's his dad. And listen, Shador can ball. If you can ball, a team can take you. That's true. And then you get to the NFL level, and okay. look, you know, whatever happens, happens. Look at Bryce Young, right? Yeah. He can ball in college, not ball in the but NFL. But he's playing right behind now. Alabama. That's a little bit different than Colorado that. Buffaloes. Things do change, but it things is an interesting story and something to keep an eye on. Uh, both of my stories revolve around your God, LeBron James. My God. Yeah, you love LeBron. Come on. He's close to, he's the, not my mes- God, he's close to the Messiah for you. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the Houston Rockets <laughs> played the Lakers earlier this week. Um, and it was Dylan Brooks yeah. against LeBron. That, it's that old adage since they played in the second round of the NBA playoffs. The Rockets. Four straight wins. They beat them by 34, Justin. Yeah. But the best was the video that I saw. It was during the game. Someone filmed Brooks and James uh, talking to each other with their hands on their hips, standing face to face. And it was just, I loved everything about it. And I wouldn't say that last year. Because when this whole Dylan Brooks persona, this villain thing that he's been doing, when it first started, I'm like, this dude is a clown. I can't stand this guy. But over time, he's grown on me. You love it. During the FIBA Olympics with Canada, Olympics, the FIBA championships with Canada, I started to like kind of warm up to him. Like you want that mm-hmm. that guy on your side, even though he can kind of be offside, but he knows exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's playing a, a heel, as he you is. see in professional wrestling. And he he's done it to LeBron throughout his entire career so far, at least when he started with Memphis. And... It seems to be getting in LeBron's head because if you look at LeBron's stat line from that night, 
18 points on 7 for 13 shooting. It was a minus 24 in 27 minutes. And when, when Brooks was his primary defender, LeBron shot 2 for 6 from the field and had 3 turnovers. Brooks, doing what he does, can get into the head of players. And if he can get into the head of one of the greatest of all time, this is something that's going to work, I think, for Dylan Brooks throughout his entire career. He's shooting 57% from the field, right? And you mentioned People all hate. look at the Memphis Grizzlies right now. They are horrible this year. And what happened? They lost the edges that Dylan Brooks brought. To be fair, still missing John Moran. Doesn't matter. When John Moran was out last year, this team was still way above 500, right? Dylan Brooks brought the mentality, the confidence, the swagger, the ability to go up to the best player potentially of all time, get right up in his grill, and not be afraid of him. Dylan Brooks is exactly what Team Canada needed a spine. He brings the spine, the energy, the I'll get in your face. I don't give a you-know-what about what you think. I don't care, right? LeBron even said Dylan Brooks earned the contract he got, Mm -hmm. right? What Dylan Brooks is doing, he's he's playing the villain. He's like Brad Marchand. He relishes the role of being the rat, the villain of the league. He loves it, right? That is why I feel that Dylan Brooks is so helpful to this Houston Rockets franchise, especially when they got young players. When you have young players, you can keep them off to the side and behind, and he takes front and center and all the storylines are on him. That lets everybody else play. But I will say, if it's not going right, he's bring, he brings unnecessary yeah, it's a noise double, to the it's, team, It's a right? double-edged sword. Because yes. you could wake up the beast. And I know he mentioned, listen, <laughs> about poking the bear with LeBron. He also called him old. Yeah. But LeBron showed up in, in, oh, that's in that playoff. second round yeah, yeah, and absolutely. said, they, they destroyed him. you can talk all the smack you want in the regular season. You get me in the playoffs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt you. When you come that's, the king, that's, you best that's, that's the line, right, that Dylan yeah. Brooks is on right now. I like to see it. I think it's completely entertaining. But listen, anytime. You can get in between the years of LeBron James by just getting in his face and being that agitator. Yeah. Listen, I'll watch you any day of the week. Well, what, what's the other one, LeBron, one you got? This guy just, he can't help himself. He has to be in the news. He's People LeBron have James. to be talking about him, and he has to be talking about himself. So on Twitter, uh, at Legion Hoops, if you, if you follow Ball, oh, you know this handle. Uh, they tweeted out, LeBron says he'd still be just as dominant if he never went to Miami, Right. LeBron quote tweeted that by saying, you damn right, I would still be. I'm chosen. Ain't nothing changing that. Maybe less rings, but dominant from start to finish. Why does LeBron James feel the need to even reply to that? First of all, did you read the full the full quotes that he gave? I did not. Okay, so he talked about how he probably would have won less rings, but he would still be as dominant. Dominant individually. But right? why does he feel the need to say that? Because it's LeBron James. But is there is there an insecurity there with LeBron James? Because I feel like he's always trying you know to make what? it about himself. Hold okay. on. Go back to the playoffs. Yeah. Where they got bounced by the Denver Nuggets. What was his post-game press conference? What was he saying? I might retire. He was talking about retirement. What led ESPN the next day? LeBron was it the James fact that Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray just swept the Lakers? Or was it LeBron's retirement? That was completely okay. bogus and fugazi. No one ever thought that LeBron was going to retire. He always makes it about himself. I love LeBron James, but this part of LeBron James, dude, you don't have to be insecure about anything. We all know you're one of the best of all time. But Albert, let's go back into history, okay? What happened in Miami? Pat Riley came, saw him, dropped the rings on the table, said, if you want these, let me show you the way, right? LeBron goes, he talked about in his letter going back to Cleveland how Miami was like college for him. Four years, he grew up, he changed, right? But what, he didn't stay in Miami because also Pat Riley never gave him the control he wanted or that he had in Cleveland and that he has in L.A. now. In the Miami Heat organization, there's Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra, Dwayne Wade, and nobody else. Hold on. But who's saying that, that LeBron wouldn't be dominant if he didn't go there? Nobody's saying that. Yes. People, he was dominant with a horrible Cleveland Cavaliers yeah. team. 
But people say that that four-year stretch of LeBron in Miami was the best iteration of LeBron we've ever seen, right? That's not denying. But I think with LeBron, because the way it ended in Miami and the way him and Pat Riley don't get along, any way that he can say that I really didn't need you, but we all know that. We all know LeBron needed to go to Miami. He needed to go there to learn to win, to be in a culture and an organization that prioritized winning, that taught him how to become a winner. He had to go through what he did went through in 2011, where J.J. Barea was guarding him and shutting him down in the 2011 finals. He had to go through that, learn how to win to become a champion, and then he took that to Cleveland, where he took that franchise to a title, he took it to L.A. as well. He knows that he, in his heart of hearts, if you gave him truth serum or whatever he knows he had to go to Miami but he's not going to publicly say that because he feels that it would do a discredit to him and you know LeBron James more than anything else it's LeBron James and his brand before anything else I just don't I still don't understand why he needs to do this who is doubting the fact that if he didn't go there that he wouldn't still be dominant right it's just him yeah, I don't know it's why just, he keeps doing self validation though. He called himself the best player of all. He's the one who went on the shop, his own show, and said, "When I beat the best team of all time, I'm the best player who ever lived." Michael Jordan never said that ever. He, Michael Jordan, if you ask him to this day publicly, because he will Michael, never say that he's the best player of all time. Michael Jordan didn't need to say that. Hmm? The best players in the world do not need to say that because they just do it on the court. It's it's a different era though too, like. Yeah, Steph said I, I he's get the, it with the social Steph media. Steph said he's the greatest point guard of all time in Magic Clapback, right? So it, it, it is what it is. I just there's a there's a level of insecurity there okay. which I don't understand. Well, when you're at that level, you are filthy. Is he billionaire yet? LeBron's a well, probably close to no, it. No, LeBron's past a billionaire. Okay, and you can make the case again, greatest athlete of all time, maybe one of the greatest North mm-hmm. American athletes of all time. And there's still that little bit of insecurity where he needs to be talked about and validated, and that is so strange to me when it comes to LeBron okay. James. That, that's my point with this whole situation. Right. If I'm LeBron, I don't say anything because there's nothing that needs to be said. You're going to watch me play. I'm going to win things. I'm going to dominate. doesn't matter what age I am, and I don't need to tell you that. You just got to watch and see. All right, that's it from us at Homestand Sports. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget, we'll be dropping episodes throughout the week, so keep your eyes peeled for that. You can find Homestand Sports anywhere you download your podcast, including Apple, Amazon, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening. I'm Albert Vartanian. This has been Homestand Sports, where stories, not stats, take center stage. Homestand Sports.